sorry, Galatians 5 is um, well known as the passage with the fruit of the Spirit in, and that is indeed what we are going to be looking at today. Hear the word of God, Galatians 5, starting at 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking each other, and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. So about annually, particularly when there's a service that's different from usual and my usual things like slides behind me are not available, I try to write a complete sermon and read it. I again failed. I cannot write a sermon and read it, so I have notes. It's my PowerPoint is basically in front of me, and I will preach from that because apparently that's the gift that God gave me. So even if this is your first time here this month, um, I can let you know we're doing a series on the Ten Commandments, and basic math tells you that in four weeks of August, we didn't cover each of them individually, and today we are just going to jump straight to number 10, which in three words is do not covet which, unless you've been in church all your life, is not that helpful, because I don't know about you, but I don't talk about coveting in my neighborhood or in my everyday speech. That's a church or Bible word. So how about this? Coveting is living comparatively. So do not live comparatively. Or a little stronger, do not live competitively. All right? Do not live competitively. Do not compare your house to your neighbor's house or your spouse to your neighbor's spouse or in the opposite do not be more proud that you don't have a louse or a mouse in your house all right that's enough dr seuss one of my favorite bible interpreters and he's probably my favorite just because of his name is robert farrar capon robert farrar capon and he writes um about the parables of jesus he says this simple summary. Whoever keeps score loses. Whoever keeps score loses. Life is not a competitive sport. 
right? And this is a hard thing to hang on to in our world because you are encouraged in schooling to get better grades than the next person in sports to be better than the next person in business to do more than the next person, et cetera, et cetera. So most of our lives seem to be telling us covet or live competitively. And the law says do not live competitively. Are there any Bob Newhart fans out there? All right, five, not bad. Five brave souls. Bob Newhart has a skit where he's a therapist. And I love this one. So he has a new client and she's telling him, I'm forever thinking about the f what it would be like to be trapped in a box. And so I'm worried about being trapped in a box. She says a little more. And he says, okay, let me tell you how I do this. Bob Newhart's a comedian, by the way, just in case you didn't know that part, that's where this is going. He says, my fee is only $5 for the first five minutes, and don't worry, it almost never goes beyond five minutes, his therapy. He says, I have two words for you. And the client says, should I write them down? He says, I think most people can remember two words. So, she, so he says, so you have this fear of being in enclosed spaces, of being trapped in a box. He says, here's my solution. Stop it. Stop thinking about that. Stop it. And I've always thought that's actually brilliant advice. But as you recognize, it's pretty hard to follow. So we've been going through the Ten Commandments, which are ten stop-its, really, right? So stop coveting. Stop desiring other people's stuff. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Amen. Let's go eat hot dogs. Right? You get that there's a little bit more that needs to be done and said here. So, Paul, in Galatians, the passage I read, changes the conversation. And I must say, since we're talking about the law, where he starts is a bit shocking. He says, you have freedom. In Christ, you have freedom. You are free to do whatever the Spirit leads you to. And most of us who have a little bit of control issues, which I'm guessing is all of us, are going, Paul, that's a bad idea. Giving people freedom does not lead to them doing what we want them to. Paul seems aware of this. In fact, we're also saying this to God. Because what's the first story in the Bible after creation? God says, Adam and Eve, you have all the trees in this garden. You have the freedom to eat from all of them except for that one there. But he doesn't put a fence around the tree. He doesn't uproot the tree and throw it away, right? He doesn't make it impossible to touch. In fact, it looks just as good, if not better, than the rest of the trees. God gives them freedom. And I've asked, why? Would it not have been simpler for God just to say, look, there's no tree there that you can touch that will get you in trouble, and these are the rules. Right? You stay over here, and there's a big wall anyways. You can't get in. We've got the rules. Why does God give us freedom? Why does Paul tell us when he's actually talking about the law that you have freedom? Quite simply, because the goal is not obedience. It's, first of all, love. And when you know you're loved and when you love others, obedience happens all by itself. That's the goal. In this passage, Paul says, 
The goal is to serve each other humbly in love. Verse 6, he says, it's all about faith expressed through love. And verse 14, the law is fulfilled in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we can just simply do it this way. Instead of stop it to the things you're not supposed to do, let's just say, get loving. Amen. Let's go eat hot dogs. And again, you realize just being told these things and knowing this idea doesn't necessarily change how we live. And so here, I have to give credit to the guy I've given a lot of credit to later, lately, Tim Mackey. Because he says, you know, when Paul says the fruit of the Spirit, he probably picks that image intentionally, right? He wasn't just randomly going around, well, I need a word, so let's call it fruit. Right? So many of us, if you grew up in church, right, you probably have a song in your head of the fruit of the Spirit, and you know all nine and so on. Right? So you just know that fruit and spirit go together. But it's an image. It's an analogy. Because he wants us to grow the fruit of the Spirit. And here we are, outdoors, in the Niagara Fruit Belt, in a town with an arena called the Peach King Center, of all things. And we're going to talk about growing fruit. This should work. I tell people, at least I did when I first moved here, the way you get to my house from here is you turn right out of the parking lot, you go around one, you go through one traffic light, around one traffic circle, through one stop sign, and you passed 10 wineries. That's where I live. How do you grow grapes? You just plant a grapevine and then go get the fruit, right? No. Growing fruit takes a pile of work. I love watching in the spring where they chop almost everything off except for two little um, twigs, really, as they look like to me. And they tie them off like a girl's tight little pigtails onto that, onto that line. And every year I look at it and I say, that's going to grow into that big full bush with all kinds of grapes on it? And the answer is, yes, it is. And then, of course, they spread, based on what I smell, all kinds of animal waste. Um, they recycle that all over the fields. And then they spray. And based on my cycling experience, they spray, and they spray, and they spray, and they spray. That's a different conversation. We'll have that on Earth Day sometime. And then there's the bird banger. That's a local term, so if you don't know what that is, that's the gunshot sound that goes off to scare the birds away from the grapes. Now, I was riding my bicycle one day and it was an off-road bicycling experience, and I was very near to a bird banger, and it went off. I almost fell off my bike. It's a lot like being shot, by the way. So it's effective, it's real, and it's making sure that, that, um, that those grapes stay safe. And then, of course, at this time of year, you see they're, they're shearing the sides, making the grapes look pretty, of course, because that's the main thing. No, they're making sure that it's ready for harvest. The grapes are now hanging down. Some of them have nets around them, right? This is an intensive process, and we haven't even talked about what happens afterwards to make wine, because I know nothing about that, and I can't use that part. So, after all that work, can anybody make a grape grow? Can anybody make it sunny? Did we make this weather happen today? I got some friends who actually think that I'm in charge of the weather, but that's a different story. Did anybody determine that this year we'd have this much rain for this much production? 
Does anybody manage, because I realize now I'm actually talking to a whole bunch of people who are in the greenhouse business, and you all say, yeah, we do control the light, and we do control the temperature, and we do control the water, but can you make photosynthesis happen? That's probably the clincher. Can you make that amazing miracle happen where somehow that sunlight and the stuff in the soil and, and the rain all come together and produce this amazing thing called fruit? And here, the fruit we grow, we call it tender fruit, right? And I think that's important because tender fruit is easy to mess up, right? When Paul says, have these, this fruit in your life, first of all, he's talking about one fruit. Right? So I think grapes is the best image because one bunch of grapes can have all nine of, the, of the, uh, the fruit words on it, love, joy, peace, and so on. What he's saying is it's not just good enough to say, you know what, I'm pretty patient. He says, no, you actually have to be patient, loving, kind, gentle, faithful, self-controlled, all of them. Right? And what we're recognizing here is that journey requires, one, that we're fully engaged that we are spreading the manure, that we are making sure the pests aren't in there, that we are making sure that the way we live our life surrounds us with positive things. But I tell you, even as you work as hard as you possibly can on this, what you keep noticing is you look in the rearview mirror of your life and go, oh, I didn't do that. God did that. God set that up. I have often found that I learn most and grow most in those experiences that I was not planning on. When God puts me in a situation and it's just an intuition or a gut feeling that I go along, he grabs my attention and he shapes my life. This is some of the mystery of what it means to grow the fruit of the Spirit. And so I challenge you to be aware, one, what is the fruit factor in your life? Do you have issues with loving others? Are you struggling with joy? Do you lack a deep sense of peace? Do you work with gentleness and kindness? Do you experience faithfulness? And do you have self-control? That one. And if none of those seems to be something you need to work on, please, please come and meet with me. I would love to have a conversation because I want to know what that looks like. And if you are working on one of those, which obviously I believe we all are, Make sure that you are in some sort of conversation where you're actually honest about the thing that you're working on. Because otherwise, let me put it bluntly, you're not working on it, right? If you just plant the grape, you say, well, I'm a Christian, my grapes have been planted, and you do nothing to cultivate it, it's going to run wild and you're not going to have much fruit, right? We need to be cultivating. Most of what we do as a community here and in this building and in our homes needs to be the sort of cultivating work where we're working on, how am I doing at loving all the time? How am I doing at loving my neighbor as myself? How am I doing at loving God? And so on. So be aware. Find some, and by the way, if you're not sure which one you need to work on, turn to the person beside you that you came here with, assuming you came with somebody, they will know. Right? If you dare ask them, they will probably know. All right? And again, through all this we see that line we've been using over and over again. It's simple, right? 
Walk with the Spirit. Be in step with the Spirit. Allow the Spirit to cultivate these things even as you try and cultivate them yourself and recognize that that side-by-side -side job with the Spirit is what's going to transform your life. Right? And then tell those stories. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's not easy. I am not overly busy with people knocking on my door saying, you know, Pastor, you talked about if you have these things and you want to work on them, you can come share them with me. Right? You're not running in droves to me to tell me that. So I'm working on the happy assumption that you're all talking to each other, right? But there's a little bit of me that's slightly suspicious that we're quite comfortable just putting the grape in the ground and assuming it will take care of itself. You know, I know, it doesn't quite work that way. And there's more fruit to be had, right? There's more fruit to be had. And if you have that desire, if the spirit is nudging you, if your sense of what's going on in your world makes you think, I think God has more life and health and beauty in store for me. Come talk to me, talk to an elder, talk to another person who you trust, and let's take that next step on that journey. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your incredible love for us. Thank you that you showed us that the way to you is the journey and the pathway of love. And we pray as we become aware of areas in our life where there's still room for growth and healing and restoration, that you would give us both wisdom and humility and the freedom to have a conversation with someone who loves you and loves us and can draw us in and help us confess and believe and trust and take a next step of cultivating all those things. God, we are amazed that whatever we do, in the end, you make growth happen. And so we thank you for those times where you push us into a place where we grow, where you pull us from a place where we're not growing, and we pray that we may continue to have our eyes open to see what it is that you would have us do, say, read, think, feel, or speak next. We put ourselves in your hand. Let us walk with you, Holy Spirit. Amen.